Welcome to Pastor Stephen Samuel's podcast, where it's our desire that you'll be encouraged and empowered to live as a disciple-making follower of Jesus. So we're going to talk tonight about the discipline of hearing God's voice. And uh, the reason I call it a discipline uh, is because it takes sometimes regular, intentional, taking out time to hear God's voice, even when you don't get an emotional mountaintop experience every time. And what I mean by that is a lot of time we associate in a, a um, successful time with God when God speaks and we have this incredible epiphany or great emotional experience. But really, you can all, you, to have that level of expectation every time you meet with God is going to lead to a lot of frustration and disappointment. But if you go in every time when you meet with the Lord just to hear His voice and just to obey, you're going to find there's going to be a consistency in your life, a strength that comes in where you're able to hear God's voice amidst all that's going on in life. Especially in Pentecostal circles, we tend to get really excited about hearing God's voice and we want to have a pep rally every time. And that's okay, but there's sometimes the pep rally is not necessary. You just got to play the game. You just got to get in there and hear God's voice and obey what he's saying when you don't feel like it's always awesome experience. And the discipline is consistently doing this regardless of the emotional response you have or don't have. And that's kind of where we're going tonight. So let's just start off here with our notes. We can uh, get in the habit of only pursuing God's voice when we want answers to significant moments of decision. And listen, we've all fallen into that trap where we only see God or tend to see God more, more emphatically when there's problems in our life. And there's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't feel condemned, but there's a better way of hearing God's voice all the time and not just in moments of dire need. In fact, if it's only in moments of dire need, many times what we think we hear is not really God's voice because we haven't had the discipline of hearing God outside of an emotional response. Does that make sense? And so, number two here, God intends for us to continually hear and interact with Him. This is the purpose of His resident Spirit in us. So God put a Holy Spirit in us for us to draw on Him every day. We all know that concept, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the concept is, we have daily bread. Even in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And you can go a long time on one word God says. You really can. You can get a revelation from God to carry you for years. But there's a better strategy of hearing God's voice every day. Just because you can go a long time doesn't mean you should have to go a long time without hearing God's voice. It's like, how many of y'all have great Thanksgiving dinners? Right? Great. Sometimes they're so good you're still talking about them at Christmas. How great Thanksgiving was. But even though the memory is residual, the sustenance is not. And many times that's the same way with God's voice. Even though the memory of God's voice at one specific time is residual, you can't sustain on that one testimony for the rest of your life. You have to daily hear God's voice. A spirit-filled life literally implies a life led by hearing and obeying the voice of God's spirit within us. When we talk about being spirit-filled, when we talk about being spirit-filled, we're not talking about just having an ability to speak in tongues. Because a lot of people associate being spirit-filled with just having the gift of tongues. Let me tell you something. 
Being spirit-filled doesn't mean just you manifest that singular gift out of nine gifts. That's not what that means. When we say someone is spirit-filled, it means we are able to be led by the Holy Spirit's voice day in and day out. We don't need to qualify a spirit-filled life just by, oh, I can speak in tongues. There's a lot of people, listen, you, you operate in the gift of tongues, but they haven't heard God's voice in a long time. And is that possible? Yeah, it's very possible. Well, I haven't spent any time with the Lord, but whenever, and they equate speaking in tongues to spending time with the Lord. And it's not the same. Spending time with the Lord means you're hearing his voice and you're obeying what he's saying, okay? Discipline should be, the discipline of hearing God's voice shouldn't become a drudgery. Rather, it's the process by which fruitfulness is sustained. And this is a great uh, dynamic I learned from uh, Mike Connor. He's over at the Dream Center. And he talks to the guys that come into the Dream Center very, you know, most of the guys are coming into in a rehab program, whether it's off of alcohol, drug addiction, those kind of things. And when they come in, first few months, he says, no matter how good they're being in their discipline of seeking God, it just seems like everything starts falling apart. And he has to tell them, listen, you're reaping the seeds you planted before you got here. So you planted seeds of no discipline. Spending all your time and money on things of the flesh. And it takes two or three months. Those seeds sprout up and they become fruit. And guess what happens after a while? That fruit comes into fruit, comes in manifesting your life. And then you're chaotic and things don't happen. And, you know, stuff starts falling apart. Relationships fall apart. But he tells them in the midst of that chaos, you start planting seeds of good disciplines. Spending time with the Lord. Being at church. Hearing God's voice prayer those disciplines and what happened is after two or three months guess what happens the fruit of that discipline starts showing up they feel better about themselves they're breaking off addictions and then even guys it's funny because you'll tell me this there's been guys that'll get in the program and the moment they start seeing fruit they leave they're like i got fixed all the problems are done right and they leave and everybody's still in the program looks at them and thinks as they're out there in the world and they're being they're finding jobs, they're having success finding apartments and this and they're being fruitful and everybody in the program is like, Well, why don't we all leave? And Mike says, Just watch. They're reaping the fruit of what they sowed here. And seven, eight months down the road, guess what happens? They start reaping the fruit of leaving the program. Right? Listen, I wish I could tell you it's a microwave process. But discipline is like farming. It takes time. If you started today the regular discipline of hearing God's voice, you're not going to reap it tomorrow. You'll reap it four months down the road. And then you have this constant steady ability of hearing God's voice, but you won't feel confident and constant and steady in what you hear until you're doing it for three or four months. I mean, we see that parallel in, in agriculture. We see it even in working out. You know, I know all you guys are workout buffs, right? I see a... A workout t-shirt there, right? Planet Fitness. Listen, when you work out, you don't see the results right away. What you immediately see is you are sore and you don't want to do this anymore, right? A lot of pain. But you push through the pain because you know the results at the end is you will feel better. You will be healthier, right? And so I'm telling you, this discipline that I'm talking to you about tonight of hearing God's voice, you're going to have to push through the hard season. And if you push through the hard season and then even in the fruitful season, keep pushing, there's a lifelong 
fruitfulness you'll have in hearing God's voice. And that's where we all want to get, where we can access the voice of God on a regular basis. We can hear God's voice every day, whether the hurricanes are coming, ice storm is coming, COVID is coming. No matter what's happening, we can hear. We're not fasting and praying because we haven't heard God's voice for months and now we need an answer, right? So that's the reason we need to be disciplined. The last thing, meeting with God daily is a good idea, but there's a difference between the traditional ideas of quiet time and meeting with God and meeting with God. It's the principle of stewarding. That's the difference. Now, let me differentiate because I have a little typo there. Let me differentiate. A lot of times when we talk about quiet time, we talk about what we mean traditionally is this. Wake up early. I don't know whoever made that idea up. It doesn't work all the way. Wake up early. Spend however much time, an hour, 45 minutes, 30 minutes with the Lord. Read your Bible. Pray. Hope you get something out of it. And then rush through your day. Am I pretty much on target, right? Wake up early. You're groggy. You're drinking coffee. Whatever it takes to stay awake. Read your two chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in Psalms and Proverbs and New Testament chapter. Rush through your Bible reading, right? And then hopefully hear something from God that will help you through the day. Close your Bible. Thank you, Jesus. We're done. And what happens is you're not meeting with God. You're just reading your Bible and rushing through prayer, right? That's what's happening. And I want to tell you, that's different than what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the discipline of meeting with Jesus. So when we talk about hearing God, this discipline of meeting with Jesus cultivates this ability to hear God's voice. So let me give you a couple of um, pointers here just on that quiet time. Number one, um, it doesn't have to be early in the morning. It just should be the first thing you do. So usually the first thing I do, get up, I make some coffee to wake up when I'm waking up early. Many times, listen, I'll stay up late. Sometimes I'll work it in the middle of the morning. Sometimes I get to the church here at the office and I'll go to the sanctuary and get some quiet time. But I make it the priority of the first thing I do, first meeting I have. And why? Because God wants to be first, right? Or I set aside time in my schedule. Sometimes it can't be first, but I set aside time in my schedule. Four o'clock, three o'clock in the evening. I stop everything, go set some time to meet with the Lord. Now, I, a lot of times when you get your time with the Lord, you sit down and 50 things come to mind. All the stuff that you forgot comes to mind, right? And people call it quiet, but there's chaos going on in your head, right? <laughs> and so when we talk about quiet time, we're talking about, we'll get into this a little bit later. We're talking about quieting your mind. That's why it's called quiet time. Quieting your mind. Listen, sometimes that takes a good four, five, six minutes to stop everything and choose not to think about anything else, but just focus on the Lord. We're not thinking about nothing. We're thinking about Jesus, right? Okay, so let's go through this real quick about stewardship. The reason I want to talk to you about this as a discipline is because we are charged with stewards of God's presence, stewards of the relationship, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 23 to chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We don't teach on this a whole lot. 
But every one of us will give an account of what you did with your relationship with Jesus. I know a lot of times we, we approach salvation as a pass or fail. You pass, you're in, you fail, you're out. And as simplistic as that can mean, the scriptures point to us to another standard of every man will be rewarded according to his works. So if I've served the Lord for, let's say, 20-something years now in my life, and I've not cultivated an ability to hear God's voice, then I've been a bad steward of my relationship. And there is an accountability for that in this life and in the life to come. Peter says it like this, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You're not just not saved to go to heaven. You're saved because God needs someone to work through to redeem the world. And if you think it's just about you going to heaven, then you've got a salvation that's primarily focused on your security in eternity and nothing more. And that's a dangerous place to be. Well, yes, I got saved because I don't want to go to hell. No brainer. So did everybody else. But you're not saved just from hell. You're saved for a purpose outside of your personal eternal security. You're saved to reach the world. For God to work through you to show his goodness to a world. And if you missed that memo when you got saved, it's time to play catch up. Right? You're saved for a purpose. And it's not just your salvation. It's to reach a world. It's to reach your family. Let's start there. Because the world is such an ambiguous term, right? Reach the world. What does that even mean? I don't even know. Okay, let's start with your family. A lot of people, well, I can reach anybody but my family. But you know what? It starts with your family. Because once you win those guys, everybody else is easy. Right? As we're, my kids and I, every night, the last few weeks, few, few days, I'm sorry, we've been watching The Chosen. You know, on the series, my leg on my shirt, come and see. That's from the shirt. You know, most of Jesus' disciples were related to him. Most of Jesus' disciples were related to him. John the Baptist, first cousin. Peter, Andrew, cousins to Mary. James and John, cousins to Peter and Andrew. When Andrew calls Peter and says, I found the Messiah, they gather all their cousins and they come and follow. In fact, it's believed, not directly linked, but Associatively, all the disciples were related except one. You want to guess which one? Judas. Judas was not related. He was from the north. The rest of them were all from the same little community of Galilee. They were all family. And so when Jesus shows up and says, follow me, they know who he is. It's not like he was a stranger. They all watched him for 30-something years. And so the reason I'm telling you that is when salvation happens in your life, it should be the most prominent, the most evident to your family, the people right around you. And because it's the people right around you, guess what? When you're reaching them, and I'm not saying you should feel condemned if your family's not saved. What I'm saying is the impact of your ability to hear God's voice should hit there first. Whether they receive it or not, it should hit there first. And when it hits there, here's what happens. You are stewarding the salvation you have well. You're stewarding it well. God puts it in us to reach the lost. It starts where? At home. I know a lot of people quote that passage in the book of Acts, you know, where Jesus says, you know, begin in Jerusalem. And they say, well, Jerusalem's, you know, your home place. Well, it wasn't home for the disciples. Home for the disciples was Galilee. So what was he saying? Start where you're at, which is a great 
um, encouragement to us. Because if you're like in this room right now, some of you have been saved for a long time, and you're like, well, where do I start? Right where you're at. At your house where you live, the apartment complex you live at, the neighborhood you live at, start right there. Start in Jerusalem. The disciples started from the upper room, literally where they were standing, telling people about Jesus. In fact, it became so prevalent, they never left Jerusalem. They stayed there for 10 years until persecution drove them out of Jerusalem. But you start where you're at, where you're at. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I put that passage in here to let you know, you don't belong to you. And this autonomous idea in our culture that you belong to you and your opinion matters the most to your decision-making is a lie. You don't belong to yourself. You're bought with a price. And so you have to go to the one who owns you to get directions of how to hear him. You don't belong to yourself. The next passage here, Mark 4, 24, and this is where it talks about hearing. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. And he's talking about, this is the, the last line in the parable of the sower and the seed. And he says, the, the series that pastor preached on Sunday about your soil, remember? The, word, the seed is the word of God. How you hear God's voice determines how you'll continue to hear God's voice. So if you hear God's voice, but you edit it to modify it for your personal preferences, you don't really obey, then you'll not consistently keep hearing God's voice. But to the degree that you hear and obey is the degree that you'll continue to hear and obey. So if I hear it, like the, the, the soil that hears the word, but it takes no root, right? And then when the sun comes, kills the plants, listen, then if I don't change that pattern of hearing, then I'll always hear the God's word just enough to get excited about it, and then it'll die when the pressure of obedience comes. It'll always stop there until I break through with obedience and hear and obey completely. You remember the four parable, the four types of soils? Mark chapter 4. The first one is a seed that fell on the wayside, which is like the pathway. And listen, a lot of people, they hear God's word like that. It goes out, doesn't even face them. And the enemy comes and robs it. And because they've never grabbed the word and put it in their heart, every time the Bible is read, every time a preaching happens, it goes right over their head. Listen, there's a lot of people even in church like that. They're just here for the community benefit. They're just here for the cultural benefit. They're just here because it's a bunch of good people. They're here for the good food and the barbecue. But the word's never getting in. You know what I'm saying? And they'll continue in that pathway until they break through. The next one, the, the path uh, or the soil that the Mark's gospel speaks about is the soil that's on rocky ground. And the Bible says that the seed falls on the ground and the hearers receive it with gladness, but it takes no root. So when the sun comes up, when the heat of the day comes, it dies. And the crazy part is those people receive the word with gladness. I like to call them my Happy Meal Christians, right? They're so excited about the toy, they forget to eat the food, and they're just excited about the Happy Meal. But when the pressure comes of obeying God's word in the face of adversity, in fact, I think it's in Luke's gospel. He says, persecution for the word's sake arises. They stop believing. Well, what do you mean, you know, God heals the sick? 
And the pressure of sickness and disease hits their life. And then all of a sudden, they don't believe a word anymore. They lose faith. Well, what do you mean I'm supposed to give a tithe, my finances, to the Lord? Pressure comes, financial pressure comes, they're disobedient. And then the word dies. The third type of soil is the one, the Bible says, the cares of this world, right? The soil goes into the ground, and the weeds choke out the word. And he equates the, the weeds to the cares of this world, right? The lust for power, money, influence, those desires kill the ability to hear and obey God's voice. And when someone starts down that pathway, they'll receive God's word. But every time success will de derail them or the lack of success, success will derail them, the word of God will come in. But it just takes a little bit of stress from the outside, good stress, bad stress, whatever stress, and then they turn from hearing God's voice. And the last soil, which is the good soil, they receive the word with gladness. That's what Luke says. They receive the word with gladness, and then they obey it, and then they produce some 30, 60, and 100-fold return. What does that mean? I receive God's word. I hear it. I obey it. That's the difference between the last seed and the other three. We hear and we obey. Okay? Now, go to the next passage here with me. Next point here. There's a long-term effect of knowing how to access God's voice. And I can't overemphasize this. And I really will tell you, you won't grab this until you start experiencing it. The long-term effect of hearing God's voice. Now, let me tell you, especially now in our culture, it seems many in the church, without, outside the church, are overrun with fear. What is going to happen in the world? And I'm telling you something very um, simple, but yet very profound. Fear is always going to rise up when there is a deficiency of God's word going in your heart. You, as a student, hearing God's voice should know what is going to happen because God is regularly speaking to you. And if God isn't regularly speaking to you, somebody else is regularly speaking to you. Media, the voice of tradition, the voice of whomever. There's a reason we challenge you from the pulpit, shut off all the other voices. It's not because, oh, they're evil people and stay away from them. It's because whatever you're listening to the most is going to cultivate your belief system in your heart. And if you don't have a regular diet of hearing God's voice every day, whether it's reading the scriptures, spending time with the Lord, listening to the teaching of God's word, fear is going to creep in. Because everyone else is listening to the voice of other shepherds. Shepherds of politics, shepherds of finance, shepherds of cultural norms, shepherds of whatever. Everyone's listening to all those other shepherds leading their train of thoughts. And you're supposed to be listening to the shepherd, Jesus. Yeah. When you're listening to his voice, fear has no place in your thinking. You know that Psalm, Psalms 91, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Only when God is leading your thought process because you're constantly hearing his voice will fear be eradicated from your life. I think it was, um, I want to say it was Bill Johnson in his book he's, uh, that he wrote called Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. He talks about there's a place of maturity, and I want you to listen to this. 
There is a place of maturity in the life of every believer where no matter what happens around you, you're confident in who you are in Christ and what God is doing in you and through you. Confident. It's where you have this wall, if you will. Huge wall. And the enemy's lies can hit the wall all day long and you never feel it because you're inside the wall. You know, we, we don't have this comp concept of armed cities. But back in those days, when Paul speaks of strongholds and high places, the idea was this. A stronghold or a high place was a city on top of a hill. And on top of that hill, the city had a wall around it. And we're not talking a wall a couple of feet wide. We're talking a wall wide enough they could drive chariots on it. That was like 12 feet, 13, 15 feet wide. Right? Concrete wall. Not concrete, cinder block kind of thing walls, right? Stone, hewn walls. You shoot an arrow at that wall, the person on the other side doesn't even hear it hit the, air, hit the wall. You know what I'm saying? They're not panicking that arrows are being shot. The walls are so high, nobody can shoot that high, right? And if they do, definitely not with any accuracy. But that's how our spiritual life is to become. That the more of God's word that we know and put into our heart and meditate in our thought process, and that's the key. We're meditating on God's word so much that even when the enemy throws a lie out there into your thoughts, it has no effect. Because you know that you know that you know that you know this is God's voice. This is God's will for my life, and this is God's word for all of us. There's a solid place of security. Jesus gives that clear definition of what that wall looks like in Matthew, where he says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man built his house upon the rock. And when the rains descended, the floods came, and the floods rose, and they rose, and they beat on that house, it did not fall. Because it was founded upon the rock. We know that parable. But the truth is, many of us want Jesus to bless our house built on sand. Where we hear his words, but we're not doing anything. And if we hear his words and we're not doing anything, then when the persecution or the pressure of life hits, rains descending, floods, everything rises, guess what happens? The house will fall. And that doesn't mean your salvation is destroyed. It just means... Your sustainability through hardship is destroyed. You begin to question God's love for you. You begin to question your salvation. You begin to question, is this God's will? And then you start making up crazy theology. Well, maybe God uses sickness or maybe God's trying to teach me a lesson through this horrible things. How does that happen? You weren't built on the rock. A sustained relationship, long-term ability to hear God's voice. There's a long-term effect of knowing God's <coughs> of knowing how to access God's voice. Go to Psalms chapter 32, verse six with me. It says, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. This is a unique little phrase. And you can go back and read the whole passage. But God always gives us windows of opportunity to access him before drama hits our life. Let me tell you that again. There will be times in your life, and if you can think back in your life, before you had chaos hit your world, you can probably remember God began speaking to you, I need to spend some time with you. I need to spend some time with you. What is he doing? He's trying to reach you before the problem does. 
to sustain you through it. Many times, God will give you a prophetic word. God will give you an experience with him that says, hey, come spend some time with me. And you're like, God, why? Everything's going so great. You know, we can meet next week. You don't know what's coming next week. And he's trying to sustain you in a time when he can be found. And that doesn't mean God can't be found. It's just your ability to find him gets diminished when tornado touches down. You know what I'm saying? When the tornado touches down, then you're in trouble. So you need to be able to find him when it's peaceful, when everything's going right. That's when you need to really press in and say, I need to know how to navigate his voice, hear his voice. Watch what he says. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. And then he says, you, talking about David, talking to the Lord, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you, God speaking, and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not, as a warning to us, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else they will not come near to you. Many sorrows shall be on the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. That concept again of a wall, right? Mercy shall surround him. Be glad and rejoice, O you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Here's what he's saying. If you find God in those times when he can be found, when chaos hits, floods of great waters hit, guess what will happen? You'll know how to find him. The best time to learn to hear God's voice is when you don't have problems. Because when you do have problems, it's a hard learning curve. Right? Okay. Next thing. Not only is hearing God's voice, the discipline of it, have a long-term effect, but the second thing, you have to still your heart to hear God's voice. And this is really, really, really important. Stilling your heart. Quiet time is not quiet because you have no distractions. It's called quiet time because it's the discipline of quieting your thoughts. And for some of us, it's easy. For others, it's hard. <laughs> right? My personality, I can zone out really quick. Just It's easy. Other people, they got a lot of chatter going. You know what I'm saying? And that's not a condemnation. I'm just saying we're wired different. But we're all called to this place of quieting our soul, quieting our thought life so we can access the Lord. Psalms 46, verse 8 through 11. Psalm David writes this, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns chariots in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Listen, all this stuff that's going on around you, you won't be able to discern, is this the Lord? Is this not the Lord? Until you can still yourself in here. Let me tell you the best time to still yourself when the kids are asleep, right? Early in the morning, late in the evening, when you can turn off your phone, turn off your devices, and still your thoughts. A little trick I learned from Joyce Myers, one of her books, was when I'm getting top of the Lord, all those thoughts start coming up. Hey, you forgot to do this. You forgot to check this account. You forgot to balance this. You forgot to go here and talk to this person. I just have a little notepad, and I just write it all down. You know, just little write names or ideas or thoughts. I just keep writing it all down, and I'll get to that later, and I'll get to that later. And then pretty soon, all that stuff's going to run out. You'll get to all that later. Not think about it right now. You just write down to think about it later. And guess what you can do? 
I'll take care of that later. I'm going to focus on this right now, spending time with the Lord. Here's Here's the beauty of being still. You can remember many times what God said to you before when you're still with him in the moment. Listen, sometimes God speaks to us for years before we get the message. Not because he has an inability to speak. It's because we haven't settled ourselves to listen. Journaling is another great way you can still your thoughts. You'd be amazed how much you remember if you write it down. right? And so being still before God is usually the first step in getting in his presence and hearing his voice. Engaging God's presence begins with worship. And I think in in Revelation, uh, John refers to this as the key of David. It's worship. Let me tell you what I mean about worship. Because a lot of times when I talk to people about worship, they think, well, I'm not a musician. I don't play any instruments. Or maybe I am a musician. And when I play instruments, people die and that kind of thing happens, you know, or cats crawl up the wall. And it's not about your skill, right? God's not going to be impressed with how good you sing or how good you don't sing. Worship is a changing of your affections of your heart. So many times when I'm getting into God's presence and I've had that time set aside, I go and I just worship. Me and God singing, usually it's just a quiet song that me and that I can hear and nobody else can hear locked up in my office. It's not for performance. It's me singing to the Lord. And here's the deal. You don't have to have any skills to do that. You don't have to have any skills. Don't even try because he's laughing if you're trying. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not even funny. Just you sing to the Lord. Now, if you have skills, awesome. Go at it. Right? Pull out the guitar, the banjo, whatever you got. <clears throat> go to town. But even in that, I know because I play guitar, you can get caught up in the skill of playing and stop worshiping. Right? And so that's why I really encourage people, don't do anything. Just sing. Turn on a song, YouTube, video, whatever. Podcast, I mean, iTunes or whatever, and just sing to the Lord. And you sing to the Lord. Let me tell you why. It's worship. You're worshiping the Lord. He is really God, and you're really worshiping Him. We don't have to make this too mechanical. You worship the Lord. It's interesting. I heard Robert Moore's teaching on this the other day, and I always just took it for granted. But many times, I'll wake up with a song in my mind. Anybody else have that experience? Oh, you're a bunch of Christians. <laughs> Here's what's happening. The Lord is telling you how to get in his presence that morning. Take that song and go spend time with him. It's the key of David. He's telling you. So whenever I hear a song, when I wake up, my wife is, you know, putting up with my humming or whatever, you know, I'm singing. What I'm, what I'm registering is this is how God wants me to worship him today. And so I'll find the song on my, my phone or whatever and I'll I'll sing, me and Jesus, sometimes and a few other people that can hear it, right? But I'm just singing, and it's what he wants to hear from me. And then when I go into my quiet time, guess what song I have? The one he put in my heart, right? And the song that he puts in your heart, listen, it may have profound revelation in it. It might be just a song that you're singing to him, right? I would even dare say sometimes it's not always Christian songs, Sometimes it's just love songs. old country song came up out of nowhere. I'm just singing it to Jesus, right? I know some of you think I'm a heretic for that. It's okay, right? Amazing Grace was a bar song before it became Amazing Grace. Go deal with that one, (laughs) right? So 
I'm telling you, God will put a song in your heart. Think about it like this the next time that happens. He's inviting you. Come spend some time with me. I gave you the key in. Here it is. It's this song. Come spend some time with me. Right? And I challenge you. Listen, all of us have had it happen. You wake up with a song. What does that mean? God's calling you. Come spend some time with me. Right? Um, Psalms chapter 100, verse 4 and 5. David says this. Actually, starts verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Now, let me tell you something. We're going to kind of pick this one apart because we're talking about the practice of the discipline of getting into God's presence. A lot of times we wait for feeling like I need to spend time with God. Right? I don't feel like it's the right time. I need to feel like. And listen, your feelings are not the Lord of your life. You need to take control of your feelings and tell yourself, I'm going to feel right now like I'm going into God's presence. And you have to take control of that. Not in an aggressive, ugly way, but just don't wait for the feeling. Do what the scriptures tell you. So he says what? Serve the Lord with gladness. Do you know you can make a choice to be glad? Yeah, that's right. You choose it. I'm going to be glad. Put on a smile on my face. I'm going to act like God's still on the throne. Even though I don't feel like he's on the throne, I'm going to believe that he's on the throne. And I'm going to go spend time with the Lord. You make the choice. If you wait for the feeling to come, sometimes all it takes is a bad dinner the night before and one yelling kid and you're out of the feeling. And the enemy's got you trapped in waiting for a feeling for days. Right? I don't feel like it. That's the time you need to go the most. Choose to be glad. Choose. And listen, it's a maturity step to tell yourself how to feel. Right? He says what? Number one, serve the Lord with gladness. I'm going to be glad. I'm going to go into the house of the Lord. I'm going to go spend time with the Lord. The next thing he says is, come before his presence with singing. Now, let me back up here. Notice the first word there. He says what? Serve. Now, this is not the whole psalm. This is just a section we picked out. Many times you can open up and access God's presence by serving people. And listen, I'm not telling you that because we're going to have this sign-up list at the end for you to come serve. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what uniquely happens when you serve. You get in touch with real needs of real people when you serve. And sometimes we can live in a bubble, especially when everything's going around us, when we've been serving ourselves and enjoying all the benefits of a good life. And we're not giving of ourselves to other people. We, real, we lose touch with the reality that they're hurting people. Serving others brings down that bubble really quick. It'll pop the bubble of being sheltered in the goodness of God many times. I shouldn't say that. It pops the bubble of you experiencing only God's goodness for yourself. When I serve other people, I come face to face with real life problems. And then it drives me into God's presence for them. Serving the Lord with gladness. Listen, you serve people with gladness, but you're really serving the Lord. Because sometimes serving people doesn't make you glad, but you know that you're doing it to the Lord, it makes you glad. Sometimes the hardest thing to get believers to do is to serve other people. We'll give missions money to other parts of the world, right? We'll do as many raffle tickets as we can do. But sometimes we just need to be the hands and feet, show up and 
serve people, helping a neighbor, volunteering at kids' church, serving other people at the church, picking them up, dropping them off. What are we doing? Serving the Lord with gladness. You know what? That opens an access to hearing God's voice. The next thing he says here is what? Come before his presence with singing. We talked about singing, right? Doesn't mean you have to be a professional. Just sing, right? And listen, sometimes you can sing yourself into God's presence many times because he's telling you how to get there, right? Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This is the part we want to look at. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, right? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, right? It means exactly what it says. I have to tell God many times, Lord, I'm thankful for this. Now, this is not a step-by-step thing. Any one of these at any time will open your heart to experiencing God's presence. There's so many times I'm walking through my house today, and we've been in my house how many years? Five years? Six years? I don't know. And I'm thanking the Lord for my house. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful house we have that got flooded in Harvey and then got rebuilt again. And then we were able to rebuild it. And you provided everything for us. I'm thanking the Lord every time we walk through my house. And there's just thankfulness in my heart. I'm thanking the Lord for my house. I thank the Lord for my lawnmower while I'm cutting my grass because I don't have a push mower. I'm on a little ride lawnmower. You know what I'm saying? A little grassy. I'm thankful. And I, I know we laugh at it. It's fun. But listen, those are things that as I'm doing those things, working, and I'm being thankful for the tools I have, what am I doing? I'm already engaging God's presence. I'm entering into his presence with what? Gladness, singing, thankfulness. Sounds like typical day for me cutting the grass right there. Right? Gladness, singing, thankfulness. Simple. But what am I doing? I'm opening my heart to hear God's voice. The next thing he says here, enter into his courts with praise. Now, thankfulness, the difference is this. Thankfulness is thanking God for what he's done and for who he is to you. As in the receiving end. Praise is just saying, you're this. You're worthy. Praise is just telling him who he is in spite of what you've gotten or not gotten. And there's a shift that happens when you go from thanking the Lord, which is really awesome, for what he's done for you, to just praising the Lord. And that's really where worship kicks in. Like you start entering into the realms of what God's manifest presence gets. Praise. But it's somewhat of a process. Gladness, singing, thankfulness, and then we praise. Then you begin to encounter who he is, and then listen, the angels around his throne are not thanking him for wings. They're just blown away by him. They're praising him. Praise, and into his courts with praise. And notice there, he, he changes the, 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 the architect, architect, if you will, architectural structure there. First he says, enter his what? Gates with thanksgiving, and then into his courts with praise. Now, courts are not the same thing as churches. Courts are where things happen. Judicial decrees happen. When you begin to encounter God's presence and praise, then you begin to say what God wants to say, and you're in the courts of heaven. And things begin to shift. Bondages are broken off of people's lives. Addictions are broken off your lives. When you're praising God, and God begins to show you who he is, then you can start putting those petitions before him and things start happening, okay? Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and truth endures to all generations. The next point, 
entering his presence with a listening attitude. Key to consistently entering God's presence and hearing his voice is we enter his presence with a listening attitude. What does that mean? <clears throat> How many of you ever go into a conversation, you want to talk to somebody, you get advice, but you've already determined what you're going to do. And you just want them to affirm the decision you've already made. You ever done that? Whenever that happens, I try to be gracious. I really do. So I always ask the question, are you asking me for advice? Or are you just telling me what you're going to do? Because I'm okay with either one. If you're going to ask me for advice, I'm going to give you advice. But if you're already determined that you're going to do something, then don't ask for advice. Because then it's just disobedience or it's discounting the advice you're getting. So when we go into God's presence, we're not asking just to get validated in how we feel. When we're going to him and we're going with an attitude of listening, we're saying, whatever you say to me, that's what I'm going to do. In spite of how I feel, listen, God already knows what you're going to do. Let me rephrase that. God already knows what you want to do, right? You're hoping he gives you a better idea. And then on top of that, you should be committed to obeying his better idea. And I'm not just talking in broad strokes of like deep, intense decisions. Even little things. Lord, should I go buy this? Like literally, if you've already got in your mind, no matter what he says, I'm going to do it. Then don't ask. Right. Right? Just go out and make a fool of yourself. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but don't ask. Because then you're setting yourself up to sin. Because if he tells you, then it's disobedience. Right? But if you go in saying, Lord, whatever you say to me, that's what I'm going to do then what happens is you're opening the opportunity for God to say something. And then God will speak to you, which means you're hearing and then you're also obeying. When we talk about hearing God's voice on broad strokes, what we really mean is obeying God's voice. Next thing, entering God's presence with a listening attitude. This means we enter God's presence. How many of y'all have ever started prayer time and the first thing that pops up is the the bad thing you just did yesterday, right? You swerved and cut off that person and yelled a few ungodly words. And that thing pops back up in your mind like, oh, Lord, I remember. What's happening? The Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin. Like, hey, you need to deal with this, right? The way you talked about so-and-so on the phone, you need to deal with that, right? And our first response is like, oh, God, you know, I'm so sorry. And then we stop. We don't want to go any further because now he might have another thing to bring up, right? Here's the deal. We have to get sin out of the way. God is not going to act like everything's okay when it's not okay, right? The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess sins, what we're saying is not just I'm sorry, but Lord, I'm sorry. I should not have done this. And how am I going to change this? And we wait for direction. Because when there's conviction of sin, there's always a direction of how to fix it. Whether it means changing your attitude, repenting to somebody, restoring something that was broken or lost. God gives direction. How to restore what's been broken. You're not earning forgiveness. You're restoring a relationship. So if sin comes up, or I wouldn't even say just sin. If issues come up that God wants to deal with. You have to deal with those because they will become a barrier to you hearing God's voice. It'll be like trying to hear God's voice in a loud room with all the music and everything going. You have to go turn all the music off 
all the distractions off before you can clearly hear. And listen, unforgiveness is a loud noise in your head. Anger, bitterness, that's a loud noise in your head. Carnality, those things that are works of the flesh, they're loud noises in your head. And they will keep you from clearly hearing. You might be hearing God's voice, but clearly, no, you're not. And so we have to get sin out of the way, which means what? Quick conviction. As the Holy Spirit convicts. Now, don't go start digging for sins. You know what I'm saying? Like, what sins have I possibly committed? That's, that's a never-ending pit, right? But as the Holy Spirit convicts, then we do what? We ask for God's forgiveness. We confess our sins, which means what? We say the same thing about our sin that God says. This is wrong. And I'm agreeing with you, Lord, this is wrong. And I'm going to correct this. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit can move to the next point. Or move to the next phase of speaking to you. Listening to obey, we talked about that. And the last thing, as we're engaging God's presence, is we are thankful for him speaking to us. Now, let me wrap it up here. We're almost done. Hearing God's voice is not a one-time event. It just doesn't happen once a day in the morning during your quiet time or during your time of spending time with the Lord. It should happen all day long. In your thoughts, the Holy Spirit is always there asking you to invite him in to the conversation, right? Asking you to invite him into the conversation. It's always fun. I drive down I-10 all the time, and I'll drive by and I see people talking to themselves all the time. Of course, probably, some of them are probably on the phone, but I'm sure there's a few of them. They're just talking away at themselves. They're in a conversation, just having a good old time. There's nobody else in the car, just them. You know what I'm saying? Listen, that's great. God wants to get into that conversation with us. Here's the unique thing about the new covenant. God shapes our thinking by simply talking to us. Jesus said to the disciples, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. When God speaks to you and you're hearing and obeying, it begins to shape the way you perceive reality. He wants to be in that conversation. But you have to set the time to get in his presence and seek his face. Let me get a couple more clips out, of, uh, thoughts out, and then I'll give you some, some time for some questions. Some people say, well, Stephen, should you spend time with God every day? Yes, absolutely. Every day. But what you might consider, though, is yes, you're spending time reading the scriptures every day, praying every day. But there should be at least two or three times in your week where just you are getting with the Lord. And that's all you're doing. You're not preparing for a message. You're not preparing for anybody else. You're not interceding on behalf of the nations. You're not, it's just you and the Lord. Him and you. That's it. How often does that happen? I'd love to tell you it happens every day. But for me, it happens two or three times a week. And it's amazing. The downloads that I get in those two or three times a week, it's not for you. It's just for me. It's just for me. Me and God will talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. I would like to tell you, but then you would be in on the crazy. And then there would be problems. <laughs> but we talk about all kinds of stuff. And listen, there's just something about a secrecy between you and the Father that sustains you when everything else falls apart. I know him, and he knows me. There's a beauty to that, but there's a strength there. There's such a... Um, there's such a uh, propensity in our culture to post everything that we get from God all the time on social media. 
Oh, this is going to help somebody. Listen, there's just some things maybe God just wants between you and him. Yeah. So are you sure about that? I know. In fact, the Bible tells us that in, in heaven, that Jesus will come to us and he'll give us a white stone with a name on it. And only he knows and you know that name. It doesn't tell us any more than that. Whether the name is about him or it's about you, but it's a secret. Here's what I know about close relationships. There's good secrets. And the closer you get to hearing God's voice, the more intimate details you get about life that he gives and only you know. And there's a power there of intimacy that can be forged when you're in the discipline of hearing his voice. I know when God speaks to me, not because I'm an expert, but because I've been doing it a long time. A long time, 20 something years. I know when he speaks. I know the tone of his voice when he speaks. Everybody know what I'm talking about? I know the tone of his voice. It doesn't sound like anybody else on earth. It's his voice. When he speaks, it does something to you. I'm not saying you get on a mountaintop every time. I'm just saying you know his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and the voice of the stranger to him off. God wants us to hear his voice like that. And listen, it's not just for people in the clergy, pastors, teachers, evangelists, people that are small group leaders, people that are you know volunteering at the church. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Everybody has the ability to hear God's voice. How do you start? Got to set a time. I'm going to sit down with the Lord. I'm going to turn everything off. And listen, I promise you, the first few times, the whole world's going to fall apart. You know what I'm saying? The whole world's going to fall apart. There's been times I'll sit down to, to talk with the Lord, and, and that's when the airline people call, and that's when the IRS calls, and that's when... I mean, like, everybody's calling. And I'd say, you know what? This is priority. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Now, if you're married, it always helps to tell your spouse, this is the time I'm spending with the Lord so they don't think you're off in la-la land somewhere, you know, goofing off, fishing, and you should be at work, right? Tell your spouse, hey, I'm going to go spend time with the Lord. We do it at my house. Jen tells me, hey, I'm going to go spend some time praying. She disappears. And I know what that really means is keep the boys, okay? Don't burn down the house. (laughs) Keep the boys out of the upstairs, right? And I'll tell her sometimes, hey, I'm going to go pray a little bit. And she knows, keep the boys out. Keep the kids out, right? I'll tell my kids, hey, dad's going to go spend some time praying. They all know what that means. Don't go bother dad. Don't go ask for money. Don't go ask for games. Don't go ask to spend the night anywhere, right? It's okay. You need to set that time aside. And I would challenge you, go into it with gladness. Go into that time with singing to hear God's voice. You don't have to read a scripture every time. You don't have to read through lengthy passages. Sometimes you just need to get in God's presence and talk with him. Many times when I'm in God's presence, I'll go however long it is, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, and me and the Lord are just talking and we're not reading through chapter after chapter. Does God speak to me through the scriptures? Absolutely. But as he's speaking to me many times, it's just directly to me. Now I'm going to challenge you thinking a little bit, just, just a little bit. The early church had no Bible. All they had was Torah, first five books, right? So you would die if that's all you had, the first five books. You wouldn't get through numbers, I promise. 
But the, what do they have? What do they have? They had the Holy Spirit speaking to them all the time. They had the community of believers. They knew how to be still in God's presence and hear his voice. I mean, when you read the story of, of Peter up on the, uh, the house of Simon the Tanner and the Lord speaks to him, Peter's not at all surprised it's God speaking to him. He knew exactly who it was. You're like, Lord, is it you? I'm just checking. The only people that ever questioned whether it was God were the unbelievers. <laughs> Paul gets knocked off his horse and he's like, uh, who is this, Lord? <laughs> it's Jesus. But there should be just a common ability to hear. And it's not too far for us, right? And I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm just saying you can get into a place where you regularly hear God's voice and you know his voice. Thank you for listening to Stephen's podcast. To connect with us or to order his book, A Reason for Hope, visit stephensamuel.org. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, you guessed it, Stephen Samuel. Thanks for listening.